Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week. And I have a guest who I've had before, but he was so fascinating and we got so many things that he and I have connected on. I've invited him back again. So without further ado, I'll let Brian J. Esposito tell us what he's up to at the moment. He is a CEO, an investor, an advisor, and a founder of many businesses. So Brian, tell us what you're doing right now. Jonathan, how are you, pal? Thanks for having me back for a twofer. Honored, honored to, to revisit with you. So as you mentioned, Brian J. Esposito, CEO and founder of Esposito Intellectual Enterprises. Since we last spoke, the holding company's grown. There's well over 100 companies now in my holdings that accumulates over 200 joint ventures around the world and probably operating in over 25 different industries. So that uh, honor that that continues to increase as I start, acquire, merge, or build new companies and projects. And, um, you know, whatever's going on in the market, as I mentioned, we're always doing great things. We're always moving forward and we're always uh, inventing, inspiring and innovating uh, to mm. adapt or die. That's been my strategy since the beginning. Uh, and it seems to be working. So I appreciate the chance to be here and talk on some of the great things that we're doing. Yeah. And adapt or die is a great, great motto. And also one of your other mottos I love is time is our most precious commodity. And, and I do. I really I, I sat and thought about that. And I thought, you know, I've heard it from many different angles. But as uh, you know, you were terribly ill. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on in October in acute pain. And when you're in a situation like this where your health is on the line, it really puts everything into perspective. And you think, well, if I make it through this, I really will make the most of the time that I have every day. And, and, and as we discussed, I, I had a, an episode before that and something since that just makes time really precious. Tell me more about why time is precious to you, Brian. Uh, yeah, well, again, at an early age, lost a lot of uh, family members uh, uh, due to death because I was the youngest of four siblings by ten to thirteen years. So they had different, you know, different households, different grandparents, uh, different cousins and aunts, and so on. So very early on, I was accustomed to my goodness, I could lose anybody at a moment's notice. Uh, so understood how valuable time was, and and the people that I loved and the people that I care about, I actually became. Uh, during when my grandfather passed away when I was eight, uh, I was afraid to leave the house. I've actually formed uh, anxiety and fear and wanted to stay close to my parents because I didn't understand what was going on and I didn't want to lose anybody else. Uh, so, you know, when when you when you love people like I do and you really really want to be around great people and then they're taken from you, it it hurts. It hurts really really bad. But as I've grown and understood that. At least for me, this isn't it. There's more lives to live. There's, there's, you know, this is just part of the journey that our spirit is on. So I've got a lot of closure and comfort knowing that the people that I've lost are with me. At least that's what I tell myself and justify to myself to feel good about when good things happen. I know I have the, the loved ones that I've lost there guiding me, protecting me, and supporting me because certain things happen. Jonathan, I don't know if it, if, if you can attest, but things just happen in my life that isn't natural it shouldn't there's no way out of seven eight billion people on the planet that i happen to be in a certain place at a certain time that there's somebody that i needed to actually meet or speak with uh, and if you look back how these things happen i like to think that we do have control over our destiny and our actions or lack of actions lead to where we are today but i also need to believe that there's something greater than than, than just this uh, because you know, what are we all working for? Why do we have things like the ethics that we've talked about last time? Like there better be an afterlife because of the decisions that I'm making in this life are supposed to ensure that I progress with you know the journey that the spiritual journey that I'm on. Mm, I, I think it is really important to to do the right thing because it's the right thing, um, rather than because there's any specific in it. But I I do think that. Uh, it is a wake-up call when you have people you love and you're close to who die. And I, as as we discussed before, follow this sort of stoic philosophy as well as my Christian background. But this idea that um, controlling the controllables, that to have a good life and a good death. 
And uh, to prepare for that, uh, I think since we we last spoke on this, we've kept in touch, of course. But, you know, my dear brother, David, um, uh, within 10 weeks of diagnosis, was dead with cancer. And we didn't see that coming. He's only two or three years older than me. And and he, um, you know, he had what I would describe as an untimely death. It wasn't what we expected. But my father was only 33 when he was killed flying, saving the lives of two others. And you go... This is just not fair, but life isn't fair. It's just no. he lived his whole life. His whole life happened to be 33 years. That was that was it. That was all he was allocated. And and to try and think that that it's fair or not fair. Why are there some you know serial killers out at large, but good people we know die? So it's one of those great questions. The, the other that, thing to add to the understanding how precious time is, my my pops has been battling and dying of PLS, which is a form of ALS. So. Is one thing when you leave the earth, like like um, your your poor father and brother. So I'm so sorry that you went through that. But then there's a whole other detriment of understanding that your health is truly your wealth, and to watch a progressive disease like MS, Parkinson's, ALS, and actually see how it affects your household, family, everybody's life. It's not just a person that's sick. So when you can, and I and I wish I don't wish it on my worst enemy at all, and I and I mean that. But when you when you're visualizing watching somebody suffer like that and you're okay, you really emphasize how precious life is. You really start to often people ask me, well, I can't believe that didn't bother you, something that would bother somebody else. I'm like, well, I've been to hell and back. I see real problems. I see real pain. That's nothing. That's noise. That's stupid. That's not going to get any of my time. I'm not going to pay that any attention. So. You know, there are people that have, I think, have had more of a blessed journey where they didn't experience a lot of pain and heartache and disappointment. And maybe that's just them on their next chapter of their life. Maybe I needed to go through what I've gone through to evolve, to better understand humanity and to have different levels of patience and understanding. So I'm grateful for every right hook that I've got unexpectedly in the face. It, it, it sets you back. It startles you a little bit. But you realize how strong you are. And you start to find strength that you never even knew that you had. But the important piece is not to get bitter. That's so clutch because it's very easy to go to the dark side and get angry. And like you said, why me and go in the corner? And it may be warranted. And maybe you need to do that. But it better be for a minute because that's not going to help solve any of the issues at hand. It's just going to add more burden, more internal demons that you have to figure out how to overcome. So... You know, whoever is listening is everybody's journey is different, and and you know, and everybody's going through kind of their own personal hell, especially in today's world. I, I think you're exactly right. And uh, someone said to me uh, the other day, and it stuck in my mind: Are you wood or are you steel? You know, when you fall in that fire, are you going to burn or are you going to be forged by it and be even stronger than before? And I think some of the tough times I've had going through divorce, my my first marriage. Certainly now with Lee, I know I found my my soulmate. I'm not gonna, gonna ruin that or make it uh, anything other than the the happy relationship we have. But but with my first wife, you know, I learned a lot through the process. And one of the things since we spoke last is I went on a very powerful course, probably the most powerful course I've done in my life back in December last year, which was the Hoffman Institute course. And I've got the the head of the Hoffman Institute UK. It's now a foundation. Um, who's going to come on the Serena uh, Gordon, who's going to come on this uh, podcast later on and talk about the process because it was started by Bob Hoffman back in 1957. And, and he was way ahead of his time. He was already doing mindfulness. He was doing that the, the body ke keeps the score that, you know, you, 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 you take the trauma into your body. Um, and that uh, also thinking about the quadrinity of your spirit, of your body, of your uh, your emotional child and your intellect. And we, of course, we often intellectualize. When we've got a problem, we go into the head, but we forget all the others. And so having the balance between them all and having some spirit, some guiding spirit, whatever your faith or your religion, some kind of guiding spirit that, that helps you be the best Brian J. Esposito there is. Brian, thinking of uh, leaders and leadership, you and I were talking about... Um, inspiring leadership before and uh, you've very kindly introduced me to many inspiring leaders and and now um i'm lucky enough to have some interesting people as we've discussed like 
uh, David General David Petraeus, and shortly we're going to be having Admiral uh, Bill McRaven, which I'm very lo much looking forward to his new book and talking about that, and various different leaders, the CEOs, leaders, generals, special forces guys, uh, Olympians, that kind of stuff. Um, if you were to pick out a couple of CEOs that you think should be your guests on this series, mm -hmm. who, who would you call out and what are their qualities and, and why would you like them on the, on the podcast? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, there's people that I admire that I don't know, so I don't want to give them the uh, the credit. But the ones that I work with that are really doing incredible things, uh, you have the company Boxable, which honored to to be a part of that amazing team, and they are truly on path to resolve uh, affordable housing. They're the first 100% manufactured modular home in a factory that actually folds up. It can be shipped anywhere in the around the world via regular freight and can scale. Uh, so the factories that they've built uh, in, in Las Vegas, the second one's coming online. Uh, really, yes, it, there's a there's a uh, model for it to be for the affluent people to have this great home in their backyard. They can stack, they can, they can do all kinds of incredible things. But because that it can scale and it can be manufactured in, in a setting where it requires no additional construction opposed to hooking up electric water, um, or any utility that this, I do believe they have the the mechanism to help uh, give the ability for anybody to have a home. So Galliano Tiramini and his father Paolo leading that great company forward, uh, and and it's great the support that they've gotten around the world, the interest that they've gotten around the world. I think they have the answer. I really do. And they what have was the CEO's name? Galliano. Um, Galliano uh, and uh, Paolo, uh, his father, father son Tiramini. Tiramani. Um, so great people. And they've, they've worked incredibly hard. And the team that's there, they're based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, and, uh, and amazing. You know, what they've done is lightning in a bottle, because there's been other modular home companies that were even backed by SoftBank that failed, this didn't have the right strategy, the right execution. You know, the patents that Boxable has, the strategy and the go to market has just been just been tremendous. Um, secondly, um, I introduced you to uh, Josh Clifford's recently a Freewater. Um, oh my God, amazing um, uh, ex-veteran, U.S. military, exceptionally young entrepreneur and CEO based out of Austin, Texas, and disrupting the model of product distribution by putting advertising on the packaging to allow goods to be free. Uh, starting with free water, the social media campaigns behind passing out free water uh, at events and and towns and cities around the world has just been exceptional. People are still, you, know, you can watch these videos, they're trying to wrap your head around it. What's the gotcha? There's no gotcha. The advertisement. I've watched it. I've watched it. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's amazing. And Josh is someone that I admire, love. I have a lot of uh, freshwater initiatives in my history over the last 20 years. I believe providing free water uh, or clean, safe water is a basic human right, and it, it, we should not have anybody going thirsty or hungry in this in this planet with the amount of wealth that there is. And Josh's model at Free Water actually could help solve that and get messaging. It's not just advertisements or sponsorships, but they can actually be printed with government messaging or any type of awareness that needs to be printed and distributed. And now you have a walking billboard that has a longer life uh, span as far as that messaging or that advertisement in somebody's hands for uh for a longer period of time great um, those good good guys good guys great guys so, yeah that's a, thank you for that and I, I was gonna go on and i'm always fascinated with your life journey brian you, you you've such a rich journey and i i encourage people to listen to your first podcast to get the, the full story but i want to i want to take it from you know the, that uh entrepreneurial start you had in life but to to lately because you've started to branch out into sort of crypto and the metaverse and you're in one of you're in Ming Chen's I think room and and for those who are listening it looks like I, I tease Brad it looks like he's in the red room from 50 shades of gray there's these various whips and uh, and stuff hanging up behind but actually movie like, memorabilia movie there's memorabilia no, there's no 50 shades of gray uh, there's just Maybe some kind of noose thing over here but I'm, I'm, I'm I'm word. and weapons I mean you, you you've got to be because you're in Texas aren't you because there's got to be weapons there's got to uh, there's a hat sure. There's the weapons in the Jersey Shore, but they're usually in people's trunks. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and so uh, tell me, tell me, you know, you've been. Uh, it's a very interesting time that we're in. You know, we're we're back in another banking crisis at the moment. We're talking about, you know, uh, Silicon Valley Bank going down. Now we've got Credit Suisse. 
um, being sold for three billion, which is about the value of its offices in Switzerland. It's just one of their offices, and they've just been sold to UBS for that because uh, it all just crumbled. Uh, and there's there's a lot of uncertainty again at the moment. And and then you know uh, Meta just announcing that they might be laying off another I don't know hundred thousand people or something. So so and I work like you do with a lot of the tech companies and the fintech companies. So there's uh, they're doing well, but yet there's you know there's a lot of uncertainty going on at the moment. So you're you're working in a very interesting turbulent time, a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. So tell us where you're at the moment in your life and some of the things you've been you've been dabbling in. Just take five five minutes or so on that, Brian, if you would. Yeah, and um, I've product of two thousand eight strongly. So I was involved with that entire banking crisis. I held what was later termed quasi government securities that wiped out a lot of our family's wealth. So I have my journey has been has taught me to be very well diversified and uh, backups to the backups to the backups. I've been calling for a global crisis or a global correction for quite some time. And a lot of it, unfortunately, I think it's manipulated behavior to have you know, a master plan, and we can have a whole separate conversation on conspiracy theories. But the the consolidation in these banks and taking these banks over wasn't a necessary action item right now, as far as I'm concerned. But it happened, and that's that's what's happening. So all of the holdings and my involvement in crypto has never been as a Bitcoin or Ethereum speculator. It's okay. Here is a new asset class, a new medium for building communities. Crypto, Web3, NFTs are exceptional for building out communities to get your product or your project or your brand into an audience that you could have never reached before. They're exceptional for bringing in potential capital to support those projects outside of traditional capital raises or pre-series rounds, series rounds, or IPOs. So in my mind is, as someone that's always forward thinking, um, is, okay, here's something that the market is doing. There's a whole movement here in any type of digital asset or crypto. How does this apply to my current and future holder holdings? And how do we build these blockchain technologies, building crypto and digital assets around our own offerings and support that crypto with real value? So the progression of this has been, I firmly believe, security tokens are the powerhouse right now. So security tokens and Bitcoins are match made in institutional heaven in, in, in the current market. They're regulated by the SEC. We've spent five years with one of our companies, TurnCoin, which last month we made financial history. We're the first of its kind registered SEC digital security that's 100% gross revenue sharing. So we share 100% of the revenues through all of our TurnCoin security holdings, holders or investors. We've launched that on INX, um, India, Nodal, <laughs> and uh, X-Ray. So INX.com, we have our TurnCoin offering. And uh, it's perfect timing, right? This is uh, We have Roel Campos as our legal advisor on what we've done in this market. He's the previous commissioner of the SEC. So when you want to go to market with what we've done with TurnCoin, and have an idea that you know is where we're heading, but you can't operate in a gray area. You can't put something out in the market that says, maybe it's not a security, maybe it's a security, we'll see what happens. That's what all these other uh, projects have done. And because they're not regulated and they're not set up in an environment to protect the tax earnings that people are putting into those projects, they fail and they collapse. And then that causes fear and uncertainty in the market, and that causes everything to kind of fall apart. So in this current market, uh, security tokens, I believe, is the future of a digital asset class that's regulated. Uh, I've gone to the school of hard knocks on doing it correctly with TurnCoin. And the operating company where all of those revenues come from is known as Virtual Stacks. We've built the ability for people to buy virtual trading cards of people. And we have the full support and backing of amazing icons like uh, NFL football stars Drew Brees, uh, Super Bowl winner Patrick Mahomes is our one of our global ambassadors. Cam Jordan, Von Miller, Wendell Carter Jr. We just announced Luke Bryan as our music global music ambassador. Um, sports and business icon David Meltzer is one of our ambassadors. So incredible icons that are supporting what we've built. And this platform, um, founded and CEO by Rudolf Markroff, is going to change the lives of billions of people. It allows your local community, your network, your friends, your family to fund and support your dreams. 
So I'll use a Taylor Swift example. If you want to be the next Taylor Swift pop star and you're incredibly talented, but you don't have any money or resources to go and book out a studio or to go and take singing lessons or to get some new apparel for a future show, you can sell your virtual stacks, virtual trading cards to your friends, your family, your classmates, your, your uh, teammates if you play a sport, and you can bring in some capital to help you progress your career and not have to give up on your dreams. Same thing applies to if you want to be the next Derek Jeter and you don't have any money for, for baseball cleats. It's the same exact model. And if you are a Patrick Mahomes of that level and have millions and millions of fans around the world, it's an exceptional liquidity event for you to have a, a further connection and engagement to your, your, friend, your, fan, your fan base and bring in a ton of new capital and new revenues for the popularity that you built. And this is what I love about you, Brian, is that you just have a great passion. You pick certain topics and, and I mean, a hundred different companies that you, you know, hold in your holding companies and all the, the way you connect with different people and you're looking at what's coming up on the, uh, on the futures, as it were, like security tokens and Turncoin. I mean, some of them work and some of them don't, and you get burnt by some, but you learn from others. And, and I think it is amazing. I, I just want to call out your resilience to whatever life throws at you. And in your life, just, let's just talk a bit about last October when you um you were in acute pain and in hospital what happened to you because um you know life occasionally calls calls a pause on us and just said hey slow down a bit Brian yeah. what what went on uh so I had multiple what would turn out to be gallbladder attacks one of which I was in a really important meeting at INX with uh, some of their team members in New York City and I got hit with what feels like someone stabbing you in the chest with a knife and then that knife is just wrapping around the right side of your body and to to call on the resilience i the fact that nobody in that meeting knew <laughs> what i was going through and that pain because it was a, it was crucial what we were doing to get our, our turn coin security listed on inx so everybody was working together and what are the next steps and i had excused myself multiple times um and then I was in this New York City and then drive back um, to South Jersey. So a two-hour drive in this pain. Then I'm, then it went away. I'm like, okay, that was – I don't know what that was, but who knows. Then another attack happened. Uh, second one was times 100. So the pain that I was experiencing during that meeting, I, I crippled over. Couldn't even move. Um, so I had to get rushed to the hospital. I thought that was it. But I said, oh, you know, that was, that was a good run. I did a lot of great things. I was happy with the mark that I left, but – Figured that was it. Um, and to go back to what I believe angels and good karma or whatever your listeners want to call it, the Jersey Shore um, hospital that I went to was, was loaded. The ER, for whatever reason, was loaded. The, the, the main room was full. And, and it was really weird. A lot of the first names of the people that helped me are, were also first names of the people that are kind of in my inner circle. So it started with Joanne who was my sister, was the, the amazing woman at, at the reception desk that just whatever reason took me and right in to see a doctor. I didn't even have to do anything. I didn't get put into a, a waiting room. And there was there was dozens of people that were waiting to be helped. And then from Joanne, I went to Lisa, who's my other sister, that took my blood. And I'm like, what is going on here? And I was just on this expedited path of amazing people throughout the entire night that just guided me through a chaotic hospital to ultimately needing to get my gallbladder removed. And that was the only option because there was a gallbladder stone stuck between some certain valve between my gallbladder and my liver. It's not like a kidney stone where it can, where it can pass or push through. It was the only option. Um, but the experience was exceptional considering I had to have surgery uh, from all the incredible people and angels that were, uh, that were there to, um, to walk me through this journey. Now, something that was really weird was about four in the morning I was woken up by what what I believe was told to me to be my surgeon. And he's like, Brian, don't worry. You're going to be fine. You're going to just go through this process. You're going to leave here. You're going to be incredible. And I remember the guy's face specifically, and he said, I'll be seeing you in the morning, and you know, we'll be taking care of this. Then in the morning came, I met my surgeon, and it was not that guy. And it was, <laughs> and that guy was never to be seen again. But the calmness that whoever that was that was standing by my bed that was – making me feel comfortable that everything was going to be okay. After I realized that's not the surgeon that I was introduced to the following wow. day, I firmly believe that that was somebody that came to purposely came to tell me I'm going to be fine and I still have more of this journey that I need to go on.
Well, this this is an. I mean, first, I'm sorry you're in so much pain, but it is an incredible uh, journey and a story. And there is this this sense that when we can manage to to go through some really turbulent times, um, you do have some almost quasi spiritual experiences of moments of calmness in the utter agony. And I myself was in hospital. Um, we were just discussing that with. Uh, uh, acute uh, urinary issues which which meant i was in just the, the the toughest pain i've been in and i just thought if i can get through this i will be so grateful for anything for any day i ever have again and i think perhaps people at, at times of great fear or great danger think of my grandfather in the first world war who got clubbed over his head with a with a marlin spike and left for two days dead in a in a, a shell hole in the middle of no man's lands and then came round and crawled back. You know, he always vowed that you know if he if he made it through, he was going to be ever so grateful. He was, but unfortunately, PTSD and and the sort of trauma to his brain made him always quite um, anxious and doubtful. A bit like you not wanting to leave the house. He had sort of similar effects. But um, wow, you've been you've been through the wars, and of course that that gives us lessons to be grateful for what we do have. Don't they say happiness is 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 wanting what you've already got and success is getting what you want and i i think we can we are taught by a, a very much you know I, I respect and coach a number of cmos and people in the marketing sphere but the whole the whole sort of corporate apparatus of marketing and making us feel unsatisfied unless we have five rolex watches mm -hmm. or another one of what we've got or a bigger one of what we had before and throw that one away and get another one there is needs to be some kind of uh, rationalization of that. So we, we're not constantly materialistic and grasping, but we are grateful for um, is it the, the five regrets of the dying is a book I'm just about to be listening to, uh, which is a very famous one about, you know, at the end of the day, the dying just go, it's about relationships. It's about actually speaking out and saying what you really should say, not keeping your voice quiet. And um and just it's not about the work it's actually about the the family and the love that you have for people let's look at your life and and if you were to pick a proudest moment in your life brian and a darkest moment and what you learned from each of those i mean obviously you just described one of those dark moments but um what would be perhaps one of your proudest moments and what you learned from that and what would be a, a dark personal moment of what you learned from that uh, yeah, I mean, the, the proudest moment for me is kind of an ongoing moment because I've constantly, and not to complain, I don't I take out a little violin and, and play a little sad song for you, but I'm constantly battling hurdles and problems, um, which is fine. Now, my life, for whatever reason, it's very interesting, Jonathan. Something amazing can happen to me. And then thankfully often does. Within seconds later, something happens that balances that emotional high, which is kind of, at this point in my life, it's it's actually quite hilarious. I have to laugh at it because maybe I'm putting that energy out there waiting for it to happen, but sometimes it's instantaneously where it's good and negative. Um, but now I'm, I'm like, well, my goodness, if it was just negative, that's a problem. So I turned it to be very grateful for at least that I have that positive thing to off balance now this new negative thing that I have to deal with. And also, if you look at my world with so many, what I believe are incredible companies and projects, a lot, a lot of people, you're, there's always going to be something. So I've built this model where there's always good and bad things happening because there's just so much happening. It can't always be good. We don't live in in uh in utopia like that so my proudest moment is to continue to to weather the bad and, and now with a global banking crisis maybe the wall that i've built up as far as knowing there's always a problem but also knowing there's always a solution i don't sit and say oh my god the whole world's falling apart all these banks are falling apart i'm i've already experienced it, like i mentioned before so now it's about okay well this is a good thing. And even like with Turncoin and Virtual Stacks, Silvergate was our banking partner and they were first, they were first to fall. And I've, I spent 18 months getting that Silvergate uh, uh, Turncoin banking partnership together. And I'm like, okay, well that sucks, 
not really wasted time because we needed to get all those proper materials and onboarding and all that filing done anyway for any bank. So we, we have all that done. So a lot of great experience. But oddly enough, and this is the beautiful thing about life and people and nurturing relationships, uh, Keith Grossman, who is the president of Time Magazine, incredible gentleman, class act, call him a dear friend, during this time just became president of MoonPay, which is the largest uh, payment uh, system for crypto and digital securities and payment processing. They're the biggest ones in the world. So having that relationship that what are the odds that he just moved over from a magazine publishing company, albeit he made a great name and, and great strategy on NFTs and helping digital artists through that Time Magazine, Time Pieces um, project that they put together, changed the lives of incredibly talented digital artists around the world. I mean, if you look back, I needed a payment processing company to offset the issue with uh, Silvergate Bank and Circle and all of our partners there. And I knew someone to go to immediately to say, hey, we're going through this. He understands the space. We have a relationship. Immediately got on the phone, immediately put his whole team together, and we were able to go through the process. So we're going through that now. But that's that's what I'm very grateful for as far as my life as a continued journey and I'm, I'm proud that I have amazing people like you to, to reach out to and you respond back. I mean, the fact that people pick up my call immediately or call me back, that's proud. That's continuously mm. a proud moment for me. But, it, um, but it's, a, it's a two-way thing with you, Brian. You're, you're very good in responding. And, and, I, and I, just, I just wonder, as you say, uh, time is our most precious commodity and, and you have finite amount of time. And the universe was saying to you, hey, Brian, just don't overdo things, mate. You know, this is this is why October happened for you. I'm pretty certain that was the, the message. So, what are you doing to look after yourself? Because you know, a hundred companies and maybe two hundred in a wider thing. I mean, you're like one's a lot, two's even bigger. You know, how much is enough, Brian? You know, because this is like it's like a tsunami wave coming over you, and you're you're there like some surfer dude in your wetsuit, swimming through this wave and trying to get out the other side, but it's attached to your foot and you get thrown at the beach occasionally and you go, okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Back in the waves, swim, <laughs> swim, swim. So, so what, what are you learning about just how you should pace things? Because time is yeah. our most precious commodity, as you rightly say. Yeah. So great question for me when, I get invited to startups and up to Fortune 500 companies to do what I do, create value, create opportunities. I love that. When In the startup section of how this continues to grow, I may, be, I may have an addiction to helping founders succeed because I feel like that's part of my reason for being here. Now, I can't, there's millions of startups around the world, so it's not feasible for me to think that I can bring them all into this ecosystem, but... The reward that I get, it's not financial, the reward that I get by giving entrepreneurs and founders the support and resources that I would have killed to have when I was building what I was building, just it just makes everything make sense for me. And I need that. I need to help. When a, when a founder is debilitated, he's got some, he or she's got something great, and they don't know where to go with it. And the moment where I can lift their spirit and make an introduction and make something happen and see them go from doom and gloom to feeling good about themselves, I will do that till I'm dead. And if that means that I'm overwhelming myself with more and more and more, that is, at this moment in my life, that is the only reward in my professional career that I need. That's my shot of insulin or whatever you want to call it. I need to see that reaction and I need to help people because I needed it. And that's yeah. that's my answer to that. Okay, and and if you're prepared to share personal life, you know what's going on in your personal life. How do you how do you have downtime? Who who have you got in your life? You know what's the kind of family connections? Because family, remember going back with a family like yours, it's very deep. Family is very deep. It's like it's like um, some sort of mafia organization. You've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to make sure you look after the family. But um, you know, have you got have you got? I, I can't remember. Have you got children? Have you got a partner? You know, what's what's going on for you? Yeah, no, no children yet. Have a, have a great partner, so you know that's um, that's great. The, the the detrimental side is feeling helpless when I have a mother that um, 
that has gone through having her bladder removed from cancer. She's the carita- main caretaker besides the help that us four kids can give my father. I believe she got really sick um, because um, not taking care of herself and fully taking care of her husband. She's very old school Italian. I respect and admire the hell of that uh, about that about her, but I also wish she would be like a little bit more selfish in her own well-being because that falls on us kids when um, I have a father who's ninety percent not mobile now, can't speak, and we're talking about things like a feeding tube and and um, yeah, I'll, I'll be ignorant where I also believe I'm on a journey where I get to meet incredible doctors. I get to meet incredible uh, people that have ha- that have had other experiences. So maybe subconsciously in my mindset, I keep pushing this journey harder and farther because maybe I'll meet somebody that'll crack the code to help give my father some um, some better quality of life. And recently I became part of an amazing company called Spring Bayou, which has developed exceptional IP and products that clean mold and spores and toxins in a home and in a, in a commercial building. I didn't realize the huge epidemic, epidemic about this. And, and what I've learned through being part of that company and their CEO, Seth, is you can't feel better ever. And your immune system is completely shot if you have some sort of toxic environment in your home. Mm-hmm. And that is from chemicals you may be using for cleaning supplies or uh, deodorizers down to uh, what's happening in your household. And uh, ironically enough, my, my parents' home was built in the late 80s. And uh, a few years ago, the entire exterior of the house had to be removed because it had mold, black mold built between the stucco and the frame of the house. There wasn't a proper material and treatment done. So thinking that and seeing my dad have this neurological disease, seeing my mom have awful cancer she had to, to uh, go through, and they're still in that home, now, being part of the Spring Bio Company, they sent equipment in. I plugged in all around the house to start testing the house to see if maybe there's still mold or something going on. Um, and Ted Nugent's wife, if you've watched that story, their house was killing them. And once they got out of their house, they actually started to feel better. So you know, long story, very long, when you love people and you care about people, and especially if they're family, and whether they aggravate the hell out of you or not, we have this connection where you want to help. There's, I just feel like... Don't always listen to what the doctors are saying. They don't, especially when it comes to neurological diseases. They don't know everything, mm-hmm. and there may be something else impacting the health of your of your family or loved one. And you just got to be strategic and scrappy, and keep asking questions and keep meeting people. It is a it's a fascinating area, and and one of the biggest issues. I mean, I read widely about this topic. It's it's uh, fascinates me um, how how we can help people who are in this situation. Metabolic. Uh, lack of health you know 93 percent of people in america are metabolically unhealthy and it's the same kind of problem for the uk and other countries as well because of our diet the environment we're in as you were talking about molds and toxins um, some of the metals that we've got in our body but also what we we decide to eat and the sleep and a whole range of other things exercise stuff like that but but certainly um the more i read around this topic um such as my dear late uh, mother-in-law who lived with us until she died. We, we cared for her here. She had Alzheimer's, which is what they call type three diabetes because it, it's, it is affected by what you eat. Um, and we don't know enough about these diseases and um, you know, that terrible PLS and ALS and my late mother-in-law had um um a, a terrible sort of brain disease which really everything closed down on her until she couldn't swallow she couldn't speak it sounds very similar um Sarah, uh, pre-supernuclear palsy is what it was called in her in her version um so we we do need to look after ourselves what what are you doing let's talk about health and well-being what are you doing to look after your health and well-being brian you've had not, a bit of a, a wake not, wake up not, call. not the not the spokesperson for that i'm, I'm very conscious about what i eat but i didn't I need to be more selfish about my well-being. I've had, you know, work is my my hobby. Work is my life. Um, through my journey, I've given myself shingles. I know it was stress-related at early 20s with the companies I was building. Woke up one morning with Bell's palsy. This, the, the ridiculous thing about when I woke up with Bell's palsy, it was um, 2010. Is that where the side of your face drops? Oh, yeah. This is hysterical. So I, I, I get up around 6 a.m. usually 
brushing my teeth and the water's falling down the side of my face. I, I don't even realize it. This is scary. This is this is about robot mode and, and how ridiculous we are as, as human beings. Mouthwash, I'm like coming down my face. I'm like, that's really weird. I get dressed, I get in the car, I go to Starbucks, I get my coffee, drinking the coffee, it's falling down my my face. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? I work until 10 o'clock where I go into the, the restroom and I throw water on my face and I see the side, I thought I had a stroke. I see the side of my face is completely fallen and um, I remember calling my mom. I said, listen, don't don't panic. I, I think I had a stroke. So I'm going to go gonna go to the hospital. Um and through tests and everything, I wound up with, with Bell's palsy. Now, going back to how um, I, I research, ridiculous. Um, and I love conspiracy theories, so that's my balance. But <laughs> researching Bell's palsy, and this was also around the same time my dad was, he had drop foot, so his neurological uh, problems started around the same time that I had Bell's palsy. Throughout my research journey, I became, and I still am sort of convinced on this, that it's uh, triggered by Lyme's disease. And Lyme's disease, I think, is the most global epidemic that we don't even realize. It mimics MS, Parkinson's, PLS, ALS. It mimics so many diseases and disorders. I think Duke did a study many years ago where they autopsied nine patients that, were, that died of MS. They all had Lyme's disease, but it was misdiagnosed. And... Um, it's just no money in it. It's not a sexy disease for doctors or drug companies to make money off of it, so it doesn't get any attention. So then I start going down. I think I'm a Lyme's uh, expert at this point. I think my dad also is fighting, you know, neurological Lyme disease. That it gets undiagnosed. It gets un. It, it, there's no really any great test for it, and it's just it's just a boring disease that uh, people don't care about. Um, but I know a lot of people are affected by this, so. Um, anyway, go back to your question very longly is that stress has destroyed my body since a young age, since honestly, since my grand grandfather passed away, I just, I internalize so much pain and stress and anxieties, but I, I, I love that I can push through it. I, I know I am a recluse at heart. I know I want to stay at home and I want to just be in my comfort zone and Maybe my proudest moment is getting up and going out and taking on the day because I I I know I push myself to do that. I'm an introvert at heart, um, and the fact that I can come on here and talk with you and I can interact with people it's not a it's not a chore for me, but I know it's it's against my natural DNA is to be home is to be in a safe environment and just watching westerns. That's what I want to do with my life. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it, this, this is interesting. And Lee, my wife, um, gave a most inspiring speech uh, about her charity, Advance Against Women and Girls. The charity is called the Inspiring Leadership Foundation. And she does amazing work. And I'm grateful for your support with that and others that we can encourage to donate to help these people. Just $180 per person a year will help get them from the bad situation into mentoring and coaching and help them give them a chance. It's got to be worth it, Brian. Um, but, but I see her as a, a naturally an introvert, it, it, you know, as a small child, she'd hide behind a mother's skirts, but she's out there on the stage, motivating and inspiring people because she believes in something. And because you get so passionate about your, your different companies that you back and support and the Holy company, you will put yourself out of the zone and, and become from being a, a total introvert, you'll give of yourself. And there is a cost. The body keeps score. Is, yeah. is what does that famous book, The Body Keeps Score. And the trauma and the stress goes in, whether it be the Bell's palsy or the um, shingles or the having your gallbladder removed. Uh, and, and this is all by the age of 40. So by the time we get you to 80, we're going to have rebuilt Brian G. Esposito. <laughs> There's going to be a, a new bionic man. Now, um, we've, got, we've got about 15 minutes left. And I want to just touch on a couple of things. We can have a look at emotional intelligence. We can have a look at diversity, equality, inclusion. We can have a look at resilience. Which are you going to pick, Brian? You choose. Um, I like the emotional intelligence. I learned, okay. I learned a lot from the, those discussions we have together. Okay. Okay. Well, look, it, it was a great honor to, uh, to have those sort of coaching, what we call strategic time to think sessions together. And uh, the amazing views behind where you were sitting at the time. I, I love that across the fields. Um, here you are as an introvert. 
um, learning to reach out to loads of people, connecting lots of people. You are a uh, you're a super networker. I mean, like uh, on a on a scale few. I know I Stephen Kuhn, uh, who took me to Peru to do the ayahuasca ceremonies. He's another like you. He was an ex uh, U.S. military uh, tank sergeant in the uh, in the Gulf War, which affected him with PTSD, and so. He did the uh, the ayahuasca ceremony and the San Pedro ceremony and then takes people like me and others to go to Peru and to Machu Picchu and do that. That was an amazing experience. That was back in May last year. Um, but you make these connections. So you've developed emotion intelligence. What are your sort of tips you found on developing EQ so that you can connect with people and you can overcome the shyness that you have? Uh, yeah, it's... My gift, I think, is the way that I communicate and the either the initial reach out or the ongoing discussion. It's always genuine and really hopefully never has an ask involved. But if there is an ask, because I've nurtured and built the relationship, it's they're excited to help. That's I'm really grateful for that human interaction I have with people because the the reach out is hey how you doing love what you're doing hopefully we can connect or speak or do some great work together like that could be the initial reach if it's someone that i don't know or if it's a cold reach out it could just be someone they admire i feel like that's how we connected just just on that basis and then it's happy easter hope everything went well with uh your your godson's communion <laughs> merry christmas happy hanukkah it's years of that it's reaching out and being relevant, being consistent. Consistency is the most important thing in human behavior, but positive consistency. Negative, toxic consistency, which a lot of people have because that's just their reaction to life. That's just their the journey that they're on, that they, you know, like Debbie Downers of the world. Um, that I can't handle. I can't handle. I used to, I used, my energy used to be to try to help that type of person, whether they were in one of my companies or an executive, but I have an allergic reaction to negativity. And maybe it's because of the crap that I've been through that I'm not complaining. And I think I got some grounds to complain. <laughs> I'm not complaining to you. And even though it's all relevant and what's happening to you could be life or death because that's how your brain is responding and it could really mean a, a severe level 10. I get that. But I, it's not meshing with me. And to touch on time as our most precious commodity, it's it may be cold. It may be family members. It could be best friends. It could be your childhood friend. It could be your right-hand person at your work. But if they don't bring you joy and support in your life, my mindset is you need to cut them out like a cancer and let them go because you need to surround yourself with, in, in today's world more than ever, you need to surround yourself with good, decent, supporting, loving people. Now, we all have a bad day once in a while, so I'm not saying if someone has a bad day, you cut them out and write them off. But if you have this repetitive angst in your life and you're having a hard time identifying it because you got this tunnel vision, it can't be your sister, it can't be your best friend, it can't be your chief operating officer. Well, maybe it can be. And maybe if you start to analyze why are you feeling like this, Odds are it's outside influences that are making you feel an emotional reaction that's stressful or anxiety. And you need to find out what it is and you need to find clever ways to remove that from your life because it's your life. I have a whole different term of selfishness where not hurting people, I don't say be selfish and hurt people or be selfish and take advantage of people, but be selfish and be happy. If, mm -hmm. if, you can't, if you're not happy, you need to find out why you need to start making immediate decisions on that. Uh, it's really well put, and and time and again in the last uh, in the last couple of weeks, different messages from different books I've read or coaching CEOs, different CEOs. The key things, essentialism is one of the books out there, very easy read. But you're focusing on the essential thing that you're going to be known for and that you're going to do, like you helping founders and CEOs of their business to really add value to them and help them make the money they need to do, but not spreading yourself so thinly. And I I've also learned the art of being able to say no. Um, because when you say yes to everything, you say no to your health, your well-being, your family, um, and to the projects that really matter to you. And, and I think 
I've actually added more value to people when I've actually thinned out a lot of stuff that I was I was doing, but it wasn't really, my heart wasn't really in it. And and I did it because someone had asked me at one stage and I just didn't want to let them down. I want to be liked. And, and so you end up taking on a lot of stuff that's actually depleting you. As you say, time is your most precious commodity. So I have on my wall here, my milestone priorities for 2023. One is Lee, my wife, quality time with her, love, care, dates and joyfulness. Two is our four children, our two grandchildren, my brother Graham, to love and support them. Three, our fitness, health, relaxation time, mental well-being. Four, one of my top uh, clients who happens to be in America. Five is delight existing clients. Six is CEOs as podcast guests. Seven is win new clients, CEOs and top teams. And then below that, shed 80% of what I do every year. Be world-class as a leader, advisor and a coach. And I think this shedding 80% of everything you do every year is, is like a snake. It can't grow if it keeps its old dead skin on. It has to actually shed the skin, move on, grow and, and, and emerge as something more powerful and more healthy. Because, of course, we as humans, we're constantly shedding our cells and our skin. We're renewing. And I think all too often we hang on to stuff that is not meant for us. And people go, oh, I, I was wanted that job and it passed me by. It passed you by. It wasn't meant for you. 100%. And because that passed you by, you're then available for something else. I often, in the old days, I, if I had, I don't know, a call with a client, a coaching call, and they cancelled or they decided not to work with me or something, I'd be, oh, no, that's... Now I go, the universe is giving me some time. I'm going to focus on what really matters. I'm going to look at my seven priorities and make sure it fits within that. And if it doesn't fit within that, I'm not going to do it. And and you need some kind of criteria. What do you reckon, Brian? Oh, I completely agree. I like the fact that you have something visual to point to and just map it out. Where does this apply in these, you said seven, I think, seven mm -hmm, criteria. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's great. People often need that visualization to identify wh where their structure is going to be. And I think yeah. you I think you always evolve as far as your structure, your priorities. But you also, I don't think I'm naturally a cold person, so I want to make sure that if you do have to say no, like you'd mentioned, Jonathan, or you do have to repivot some of your focuses, you want to try to do it as a gentleman in a yeah. class act way. So I, I do recommend never burning a bridge and you know, at the end of the day when you're maybe eliminating something, eliminating somebody from your life, no matter how you sprinkle it or if you give them ice cream, it's not it's, it's going to be heard in a very rough manner. But if you need to do that for your own well-being and your own self-gratification and happiness, then it's got to be done. And it's great to just utilize that tool. Like you said, well, this doesn't fit in with where I want to be in this chapter of my life or where I intend to be a year from now. You need to put those steps in place and... It's no different. It's training. It's no different exactly. if you were an athlete to practice to be the best baseball player you can be or if you're a musician to be the best piano player you can be. It's training. Now, if you want to be the best human being you can be, it's putting uh, criteria like you've mentioned in place to start itemizing who and what is allowed into your life and what role do they play. Yeah, and I think uh, that's so well put. And I two thoughts come from it. One is uh, when someone comes to me and there's something that they want to do, which is not for me, I go, thank you. I wish you every success with what you're doing. I, I've had a look at your stuff. It looks really good. I'm sure you're great at what you do, but it's not for me. Yeah. I, I might recommend them to somebody else or have you read this book or I just, just give them some resource so that there's a, uh, there's a, there's a kindness in there, but then finish it and move on. Don't, don't keep ruminating about it. Should I, shouldn't I just, you just move on so you can give attention and love and care to the, the priorities I shared with you for me, but whoever uh, you are. And then the other thing is just like when you've got people who work for you as you're a, a, a CEO, making the decision to let someone go, it should be done. Treat them the way you'd like them to exit the organization with the kindness and the excitement as the, how they came into it. And now it sounds a bit cheesy to do that. But what I mean yeah. is be, be, be firm on the decision really firm on the decision. No, this is not working. Let me help you find your happiness elsewhere. It's not here. It's not a good fit for me and you. And if you really look at yourself truly, you'll know it's not. I'll help you go on. But the, the decision is this. 
And here, I'll help you in the way you go. So you've got time to get out of there. Mm. But 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 not to sugarcoat it so that they don't think they actually are going. They're actually staying, you know, because you, yeah. you go, oh, you're really great. And that kind of, oh, I'm staying. No, no, you've got to go. And and so there's that one. Right. And the last I've, few. I've actually, oh. on that quick point, I've actually done that exact thing. Most of the time, I help them find another place because I want people to succeed. Um, mm. But. A few times, an amazing turnaround happened where, I guess, you know, everybody, everybody put their gun on the table. And because of that open, vulnerable discussion where I'm still willing to help you take care of your bills, find you a new home, they actually did a 180. And it was more looked at like, this is something that really cares about me. So it, it actually put another thought process in their head where, where they were, maybe they were trying to peacock or they were trying to make a name for themselves or just a lot of times people just want to feel valued and important. And then during those conversations, maybe I needed to change things that also to bring more light to the great work that they were doing, because there's, there's a lot going on and I want everybody to always feel acknowledged and appreciated. So even during that conversation, there's a chance where you can actually build a better foundation and grow from there. You're so right, Brian. And I think often we leave it too long. We ruminate, we discuss with our, our, our significant other, uh, about somebody that you're not happy with, but have you actually talked to them? And, and you leave it to right at the end when you're firing them and they go, well, you never talked to me about this before. I could have perhaps adjusted my, I mean, sometimes then it's never going to work. Sometimes you've got a white collar psychopath and you know <laughs> you have to emigrate to avoid them or you have to just yeah. move them on. Yeah. But, but if you're but, not a psychopath and you move them into another organization, they're going to kill that ally again. and are friendly there for a potential future business opportunity too. Yeah. So, so you've, you've, you've got to, you've got to have I think, honest conversations early on. So in the last few minutes, um, let's have a look, talk about your favorite book. And then I'd like to introduce yourself again in a moment when I'm ready um, and give us your top two minute leadership tip. But what, what's a book that you've been reading the last year that you think is a, a cracker on leadership? Really, really good. And why do you like it, Brian? Yeah, it's uh, Elizabeth Hamilton uh, Guarino. It's called The Change Guidebook. Um, exceptional, top-selling book. It's made up of a tremendous uh, group of influencers, CEOs, just incredible people with their stories, their experiences, and their journeys. Elizabeth is writing another book, too, now to follow up that successful publication. Um, I like real-life examples. Uh, when it comes to things like your entrepreneurial journey, uh, personal growth, professionalism, I, I really love hearing about what worked and what didn't work for people. My usually my discussions when I get to speak with um, with people like you or interviews or in groups, I like telling the war stories because to me that's the value. Anybody can get up on stage and flash their, their nice watch and talk about all their great vacations. And look, you can be a success like me. I go deaf in those rooms or those environments. That's not for me. I want to hear, how did you almost die in business? And how did you crawl and get back to where you are today? David Meltzer does this amazingly. He went through losing $100 million on his career and rebranded and revalued himself. I went through my journey that I talked about last time in 2016, where I lost everything and had to rebuild and regroup and revalue myself. So to me, the value in books like this uh, are real vulnerable people's journeys, the the grit, the, what they needed to do in a, in a legal environment, what they needed to do to recover and bring money in and get back on their feet. Um, that's what I love. That's the value that mm -hmm. I love. Um, so mm -hmm. that's why it's an exceptional book, and she's a, she's a tremendous friend and uh, a great writer. Good. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a, a listen to it. I'm sure she's got an audio version. As you know, I'm dyslexic, so I'll be looking for her audio version of the Change Guidebook. Thank you for that, Brian. So, on to the top leadership tip. Uh, and this is a standalone clip. So, Brian, would you introduce yourself briefly? Say what you're doing at the moment and what your top leadership tip is, and we'll close at that point. Brian J. Esposito, CEO and founder of Esposito Intellectual Enterprises. It is over 20 years of my personal professional career. Uh, it's a holding company wholly owned by me at the top level. There are now over 100 entities in it that accumulates over 200 joint ventures around the world and proudly operating over 25 different industries. What I look at it is an exceptional resource of great technology, IP, technology, product solutions, and services. 
run by best in breed management that's supported by exceptional legal accounting compliance and regulatory and then that is further supported by our great investment banking partners private banking partners and uh, strategic capital partners what i love to do and where i find great reward and value in my journey and what i've been on is take everything that i've built all of these holdings all of these relationships and access and great products and technologies and partner and work with startups, even up to Fortune 500 companies, and help them succeed, help them open up new markets. If it's a startup founder that needs uh, extra access, extra relationships, extra support, I want to be that turnkey resource for them to succeed and to thrive. I'm not the unicorn guy. I'm the old school. If you want to be in business, you got to make revenues. And if you want to stay in business, you got to have positive earnings. Those are the companies I love to build. Those are the people I love to support. And I firmly believe we're all here to make our mark on this world. you got to do something you love every day and make sure that you focus on finding that joy, lighting up your life, and going after what you firmly believe you should be doing. And find people like you, Jonathan, people like me that want to help support you or help make great introductions to keep you thriving and surviving. Brian, thank you very much. I have thoroughly enjoyed today. There's so much that uh, we could have talked about for another few hours. But thank you for being on the Inspiring Leadership Podcast and thank you for the way you help so many people around the world. And I'm uh, going to tap you into helping uh, the Inspiring Leadership Foundation and these uh, preventing violence against women and girls by, by finding ways through your connections to raise funds to help these women who really need your help and need ours. So, Brian, thank you. It's uh, an honor having you on again. Thank you, Jonathan. Stay well, my friend. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.